Well, hello again. This is Bob Mallon with the Audio Information Network of Colorado presenting Military News. Today is a warm day, but the angle of the sun and the different conditions seem to be a hint of fall in the air. When I lived in Alaska, August 15th, which is today, was generally considered the start of fall. And all you had to do is go through till May to get to spring and summer again. Let's get started. This is today's edition of Military News. Uh, worldwide, you realize the coronavirus variant D and some say variant Lambda are increasing. And with fall coming on, who knows? We may be back in the same kind of service, in the same kind of condition we were last fall. Hopefully, we've learned a lot and can make things better. The best you can do and I can do is get vaccinated. They're saying, they being the CDC, uh, that a third shot is going to be necessary preferably Moderna or Pfizer, and I'm actually looking forward to getting mine. My shots were delivered in, in January of this year, 2021, and I wouldn't mind getting another one. However, let's get on with the military news. Again, our main source of information is military.com, Military Daily News. If you've been following along, you realize that there is a debacle going on in Afghanistan. Uh, the Afghan Taliban fa faction is rapidly taking over the country. The American troops, as well as other NATO troops, are getting ready to evacuate as well as possible. Uh, using another troop surge, as it were, for that purpose. The Afghan army seems to be melting into the distance. Helicopters are flying here and there to evacuate people. And to my way of thinking, having been a Vietnam veteran, and still am a Vietnam veteran, this is a fairly familiar-sounding scenario. However, the first article will tell us something. It's entitled, Biden Sending an Extra Thousand Troops to Afghanistan as, as Afghanistan Needs Them as Taliban Forces Close In on the Capitol. Posted August 14th, 2021 by Military.com, Steve Bynon. More troops are deploying to Afghanistan to evacuate U.S. personnel and Afghan allies as the Taliban's swift warpath leaves the Afghan government on the brink of collapse. On Saturday, President Joe Biden mobilized 1,000 paratroopers from the 82nd Airborne Division out of Fort Bragg, North Carolina, to join the already 3,000 U.S. troops heading into Afghanistan this weekend. Those troops are on top of the 1,000 service members who are already in the country ahead of the sudden surge. An additional 1,000 U.S. troops will also wait in Kuwait as a reserve element in case more help is needed. The 4,000 troops who will be in Afghanistan as a result of the deployment is nearly double the total who are in the country when Biden took office. Roughly 600 British troops are also mobilizing to aid in the evacuation of UK nationals. The Taliban is nearing complete control of the country as Afghanistan army and police units surrender en masse. The AP reported sightings of Taliban forces in the Shar Asayab district, just seven miles south of Kabul, and the group controls 24 of 34 of Afghan provinces. 
Once Kabul falls, human rights advocates fear the Taliban will reimpose draconian rule consistent with the strict clampdown on individual rights that were a feature of the group's prior governmental governance ahead of the U.S.-led invasion in 2021, 20 years ago. The Taliban's gains this summer have quickly overcome 20 years of American war efforts focused on building an Afghan national army that could resist the group's control of the country, but it has folded in the face of Taliban advances. Biden said the surge of troops will be temporary and that he still plans total withdrawal in his presidency. One more year or five more years of U.S. military presence would not have made a difference if the Afghan military cannot or will not hold its own country. Biden said that in a statement released Saturday afternoon. And an endless American presence in the middle of another country's civil conflict was not acceptable to me, he said. Former President Donald Trump made a deal with the Taliban in 2019 to withdraw from Afghanistan, a move Biden said gave them a strategic edge and forced his hand to quickly withdraw troops when he came into office. When I became president, I faced a choice, follow through on the deal with a brief extension to get our forces and our allies' forces out safely, or ramp up our presence and send more American troops to fight once again in another country's civil conflict, Biden said. I was the fourth president to preside over an American troop presence in Afghanistan, two Republicans and two Democrats. I would not and will not pass this war on to a fifth president. Another article from Military.com. Questions about infamous lost sub resurface as Navy releases new documents tied to decades-old mystery. Posted 14 August 2021 by Constantine Tropin. Almost 60 years have gone by since the Thrasher, then the Navy's newest nuclear-powered submarine, plummeted to the bottom of the sea during a deep-dive test. Now, recently declassified documents are adding to the confusion and debate around the service's deadliest submarine loss ever. Documents released by the Navy in July describe a series of events aboard the submarine Seawolf, one of the ships that was searching the area after communications were lost with the Thrasher on April 10, 1963. The Seawolf heard a series of sounds that have led to speculation that the Thrasher's crew may have been alive longer than previously thought. However, Experts on the submarine sinking dismiss that possibility. You could see the men on the Sea Wolf hoping against hope, thinking the sound might be some survivors and recording them. Chris Drew, author of a book that investigated the incident, Blind Man's Bluff, and a former military journalist explained, there's a lot of sounds in the ocean. The Thrasher sank with 129 men aboard. In its wake, the Navy created a submarine safety program called Subsafe to ensure that future submarine hulls would stay watertight and that they can recover from unanticipated flooding. The new documents show that the Sea Wolf arrived in the area the Thrasher was believed to have sunk on the morning of April 11, 1963, just over 24 hours after the sub disappeared. The declassified log shows that over a series of four dives, the submarine reported hearing various pings and sounds it thought might be the missing thrasher. At one point, the Seawolf broadcast, We hear your underwater telephone. If you will send five dashes, we will have 
positive identification, send five dashes. There is no report of five dashes being received, but the sea wolf continued to try to get a fix on the source of the pings. About halfway through the search, the submarine reported a total of 37 pings heard, and counted. The sea wolf also reported sailors may hear very weak voice over their underwater receivers. They asked for a repeat of the message, but one was never received. On one dive, the sea wolf repeat reported metal-on-metal metal banging heard on sonar. In between requests to bang five times on hull, the submarine reported hearing more bangs, but a later entry conceded that he does not give us the number asked for. The log also notes that what the sailors were hearing could be sounds from destroyers in the vicinity. Crushed by ocean pressure. Unbeknownst to the sea wolf at the time, every major investigation has concluded that by the time it began its first dive search, the thresher had already been crushed by the ocean pressure after sinking to 2,400 feet, which is 400 feet past what the hull could take. Norman Palmer, an author and naval analyst who wrote the book Death on the USS Thrasher, discounts the possibility that what the Sea Wolf heard was surviving sailors in a still intact Thrasher. I don't believe it, Palmer flatly told Military.com in an interview. Palmer points to the recordings from the Navy's Undersea Sound Surveillance System, or SOSUS, SOSUS, as key evidence informing his opinion. We know from the SOSUS tapes that the submarine imploded, he said. If it imploded, that means they collapsed inward. Everyone died instantly. There was no clanging on the metal. Drew also pointed out that it's highly unlikely the submarine could still float or have positive buoyancy. The Thrasher couldn't have just been maintaining positive buoyancy, and nobody can find them, he told Military.com in an interview. Drew noted that both the Sea Wolf and the surface ships that were part of the search and rescue efforts all had sonar systems. If a massive submarine is sitting at one to 2,000 feet deep for a day, don't you think sonar would have picked it up, he asked. It doesn't make any sense. Unsurvivable Waters Drew, who co-authored Robert Ballard's recently released memoir, Into the Deep, a memoir from the man who found the Titanic, said the famed undersea archaeologist who surveyed the Thrasher wreck shortly before he located the Titanic, confirmed that the submarine sank in unsurvivable deep waters. Ballard said it was far enough from the continental shelf that it just went straight down, and then once they got a little past crush depth, that was it, Drew said. Both Drew and Palmer noted that there could be any number of explanations for what the Sea Wolf her crew heard and reported in 1963. You can be 500 miles from something, and because of underwater currents, the temperature gradients, and other things, you could hear something that's 500 miles away, Palmer said. He was quick to note, though, that it might have been the other ships and submarines that were in the area making the sounds. In fact, one entry in the Sea Wolf report notes several times that other Navy ships in the area were making noises that made it difficult to listen for sounds from the Thrasher. The newly released details also draw attention to the fact that disagreement remains on what initially caused the Thrasher to lose power and sink. The Navy's official position is that an inadequate welding technique caused a pipe to fail on the submarine. Retired Vice Admiral Ron Thunman, 
who commanded the Thrasher's sister, Submarine the Plunger, summed up the Navy's position in an oral history interview in 2012. A pipe ruptured and the spray grounded the electrical systems. It caused the reactor to shut down, Funman said. In addition, the Navy later learned that if you try to blow a submarine's ballast tanks from that deep a depth, as the Thrasher did, the air piping would cause ice to form and prevent the sum from surfacing. So, the Thrasher's commander had no propulsion. He had to blow systems and they lost the ship, he said. Thurman went on to become Deputy Chief of Naval Operations, and he was the officer who ordered Ballard to survey the Thrasher's wreck in the 1980s as part of an agreement that also gave the oceanographer funding to find the site of the Titanic. Electrical failure? However, Palmer, along with Bruce Rule, wrote an analysis in Navy Times in 2013 on the 50th anniversary of Thrasher's loss, arguing for a different cause for the power failure. Rule was the analyst who studied the recordings related to the loss of the Thrasher and testified before the Navy's Court of Inquiry on the incident. He went on to serve as the lead acoustic analyst in the Office of Naval Intelligence for 42 years, retiring in 1992. Rule and Palmer argued that acoustic evidence indicated that an electrical failure not a leak or flooding, caused the reactor's coolant pumps to shut down. Palmer, who once spoke with the Thrasher's first commander, Dean Axine, said, the naval officer told him that one of the Thrasher's final messages to ships on the surface supports his theory. Shortly before contact was lost, the Thrasher sent a message that read, experienced minor difficulty, have positive up angle, attempting to blow. Palmer told Military.com that Axing said the only thing that he could think of at test depth, 1300 feet, that he would describe as a minor difficulty was the reactor shutdown, because that happened periodically, not regularly but every now and then, and there was a procedure for restarting it. Rule, in an open letter to Navy leadership in 2013, wrote that the message was evidence those difficulties did not involve flooding with the catastrophic efforts such flooding is known to create at great depth. Those still passionate about answering all the questions about the Thrasher, including Formal naval officers and family members of the crew hope to get the answers as the Navy releases more and more documents. Ultimately, neither Palmer nor Drew feel the revelations of the sounds heard by the Sea Wolf change their understanding of the submarine sinking. Drew said, the new details are very intriguing and alluring but ultimately a footnote in the larger Thrasher saga. Palmer said he wouldn't even give that much credit to the new findings. A 2019 a memorial to the Thrasher's crew was unveiled at Arlington National Cemetery. Their sacrifices will now rightfully be memorialized at our nation's most hallowed grounds besides tribute here to generations of fallen heroes. Senator Jean Sheehan, Democrat of New Hampshire, said that at the time. This next article from Military.com gets back to the Kabul incident. Blinken says Kabul embassy evacuation is orderly. Posted 15 August 2021 by the Associated Press. Dateline Washington. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken says the U.S. is evacuating remaining staff at the U.S. Embassy in Kabul as the Taliban enter the Afghan capital, but 
he is playing down America's hasty exit, saying, this is manifestly not Saigon, again referring to the Vietnam debacle. Speaking on ABC's This Week on Sunday, Blinken said, the compound itself, our folks are leaving there and moving to the airport. Blinken also confirmed that the U.S. Embassy workers were destroying documents and other items ahead of fleeing the embassy, but insisted this is being done in a very deliberate way. It's being done in an orderly way, and it's being done with American forces there to make sure we can do it in a safe way. The evacuation of the U.S. Embassy in Kabul had U.S. military helicopters lifting off from Embassy ground Sunday and sent puffs of black smoke up into the sky over Kabul as U.S. officials worked to keep sensitive material from falling into Taliban hands. The scene comes after President Joe Biden earlier this year played down any idea that the Taliban could capture the country or that the Afghanistan war would end up in scenes reminiscent of the Vietnam War with military helicopters taking off from embassy rooftops. Biden defended Biden's decision to end the nearly 20-year war, U.S. military mission in Afghanistan, saying Biden's hands were tied by a withdrawal deal President Trump struck with the Taliban in 2020. If Biden had called off the withdrawal, we would have been back at the war with the Taliban and forced to surge tens of thousands of American forces back into Afghanistan, Blinken said. Other develops on Afghanistan where a Taliban blitz has taken large swaths of territory just weeks before the final pullout of American and NATO troops. Islamabad, a special flight of Pakistan's national airline PIA has arrived in Islamabad, carrying 329 passengers from Kabul, and another carrying 170 people will arrive later today. A spokesman for the airline said Saturday that the airline will operate three flights tomorrow to transport Pakistanis and other nationalities looking to leave Kabul. PIA and other commercial flights from Kabul were heavily delayed Sunday due to a U.S. military transport plane that blocked the runway, the airline said. Dateline Washington Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, and Army General Mark Milley, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, will brief House members of the situation in Afghanistan in an unclassified virtual conference on Sunday morning, according to an invitation obtained by the Associated Press. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi requested the meeting along with an in-person classified briefing when the House is back in Washington the week of August 23rd. Berlin. NATO says that it is helping to maintain operations at Kabul airport to keep Afghanistan connected with the world. In a statement, it says that it would also maintain its diplomatic presence in Kabul. The security of our personnel is paramount, and we continue to adjust as necessary, it added. Dateline NATO provided no details on its number of staff till still in Afghanistan, but said it was constantly assessing developments in the country. We support Afghans' effort to find a political solution to the conflict, which is now more urgent than ever, the statement said. Dateline Istanbul, Turkey's president, said his country will work for stability in Afghanistan along with Pakistan in order to stem a growing migration wave amid the Taliban's countrywide offensive. President Recep Tayyip Erdogan said Afghans were increasingly attempting to migrate to Turkey via Iran, urging an international effort to bring stability to the country and prevent mass migration. 
Erdogan was speaking at a naval ceremony with Pakistan's president. He said Pakistan has a vital task to bring peace and stability to Afghanistan, where clashes have intensified. Turkish-Pakistani cooperation would be needed for this, and Turkey would use all possibilities to do so, Erdogan added. Erdogan did not mention any changes to a proposal for Turkey to secure and operate the airport in Kabul. Madrid Dateline. Spain's defense ministry said it has not yet begun evacuating Spanish nationals and Afghan staff, including translators who are expected to be flown out alongside its citizens, but was speeding up its plans. In an emailed statement, it says the evacuation plans for Afghanistan is being accelerated to the maximum, adding that details are finalized on logistics and the people who will be evacuated, but they cannot give more details for security reasons. Dateline Vatican City. Pope Francis said Sunday that he shares the unanimous concern for the situation in Afghanistan as Taliban fighters sweep across the war-torn country. He spoke as the Taliban entered the outskirts of Kabul, the Afghan capital, and said they were awaiting peaceful transfer of the city. From a window overlooking St. Peter's Square, the Pope asked for prayers so that the clamor of weapons may cease and solutions may be found at the negotiating table. He added, only in this way may the battered population of the country, men and women, elderly and children, return to their homes and live in peace and safety with full mutual respect. Berlin, Dateline. Germany is sending military transport planes to Kabul to begin the evacuation of its embassy staff Monday. Today being Sunday, that would be tomorrow. The German news agency DPA reported Sunday that the mission will include the evacuation of local Afghan staff working for Germany's embassy a German official speaking on condition of anonymity because they weren't authorized to be quoted, told the Associated Press that paratroopers will secure the operation. The military planes are expected to ferry evacuees from Kabul to a base in Central Asia. Dateline Milan. Italian media reported Sunday that most personnel at the Italian embassy in Kabul are being transferred to the Afghan's capital airport in preparation for evacuation. The report Sunday by Kamari Dalyasera said the move affects some 50-50 Italian staffers and 30 Afghan employees and their families, along with the Kabanyari paramilitary police protecting the embassy. The foreign minister confirmed that staff were being transferred to the airport as other nations were in the process of doing, but, not, but could not give numbers or timing. Italy's defense minister has said that 228 Afghans and their families have already been transferred to Italy, calling it a moral duty to protect those who had worked with Italy and who would face reprisals by the Taliban. The Italian agency La Presa reported a flight carrying Italian embassy staff would depart Kabul Sunday, that is today, in the evening. And it continues. Dateline Moscow. Russia State News Agency reported Sunday that the Taliban promised to guarantee the safety of the Russian embassy in Kabul. Task quoted... Suhail Shaheen, a spokesman for the Taliban's political office, as saying that the organization has good relations with Russia and a policy in general to ensure safe conditions for the functioning of the Russians and other embassies. The Kremlin's envoy on Afghanistan said Sunday that there were no plans to evacuate the Russian embassy in Kabul. Zamir Kubilov told the Interfax news agency that Russia's ambassador and its safe 
are calmly carrying out their duties. The reports came as Taliban fighters entered Kabul after a week-long blitz ahead of the final pullout of American and NATO troops. The Taliban said they don't plan to take the capital city by force. Another dateline, Moscow, Uzbekistan's foreign ministry reported Sunday that 84 Afghan servicemen crossed the border into Uzbekistan asking for assistance. Uzbek guards detained the group of Afghanistan military when they crossed the border. The group included three wounded soldiers that needed medical help, the ministry said. The men were offered food and temporary accommodations in Uzbekistan, and the ministry was in touch with Afghan officials regarding the return of Afghan soldiers to their home country. The announcement Sunday came as Taliban fighters entered Kabul after a week-long blitz ahead of the final pullout of American and NATO troops. The Taliban said they don't plan to take the capital city by force. Dateline Tirana, Albania. Albania's prime minister said his country will temporarily shelter hundreds of Afghanistans who worked with the Western peacekeeping military forces and are now threatened by the Taliban. Only his Facebook page, Edi Rama, said the U.S. government had asked Albania to serve as a transit place for a certain number of Afghan political emigrants who have the United States as their final destination. No doubt we shall not say no, he said. He added that the Albanian government has also responded positively to requests from two, two U.S. non-governmental officers to shelter hundreds of Afghan intellectuals and women activists who have been threatened with execution by the Taliban. The Albanian Prime Minister said that his country stands alongside the United States not only when they need them for our problems, but even when they need us, anytime. Dateline London. British media are reporting that the UK's ambassador to Afghanistan is to be airlifted out of the country by Monday evening, amid fears the Taliban could seize the airport imminently. The Foreign Office had intended for Laurie Bristow and a small team of officials to remain at the airport with other international diplomats, but the Sunday Telegraph reported that their departure had been brought forward. The Foreign Office declined further comment. Last week, the Defense Ministry said 600 British troops were being deployed to Kabul to help evacuate some 3,000 British nationals and about 2,000 Africans, make that Afghans, who worked with British forces. A Royal Air Force Hercules aircraft was reported to have flown out of the airport on Saturday carrying diplomats and civilians. Defense Secretary Ben Wallace defended Britain's move to pull troops out of the country. Writing in the Sunday Telegraph, he said, We have not betrayed Afghanistan. He wrote that UK could not go it alone after the US announced its plans to withdraw. It would be arrogant to think we could solve Afghanistan unilaterally, he said. Islamabad Dateline Pakistan has closed the Torkham border between Afghanistan after the Taliban took control of the Afghan border facility, the interior minister said Sunday. Sheikh Rashid Ahmed said the decision to close the Torkham border was taken to due to an extraordinary situation on the other side. Ahmed told the local Geo television that the border was closed when Afghan police surrendered to the Taliban. Ahmed said the Charman border point with Afghanistan remains open. Pakistan has already said that it cannot bear any load of new Afghan refugees in the wake of crisis in the war-torn country. Pakistan is about to complete fencing along the porous border, saying the step has been taken to check the militants' movement across the border.
And it continues. Dateline Tribon, Czech Republic. Czech leaders have approved a plan to evacuate African staffers at the Czech embassy in Kabul. The Czechs already had evacuated their own diplomats from the embassy and transported them to Kabul's international airport. Czech Foreign Minister Jakub Kulhanek said Afghan staffers are at risk of death and torture if they stay, adding, we simply can't allow that to happen. The announcement Sunday came as the Taliban seized the last major city outside of Kabul, held by the country's central government, cutting off the capital to the east. Defense Minister Labamir Metnar said the Czechs will help those Afghanistans who worked with Czech troops during their deployment in NATO missions. Metnar said his country is ready to take care of Afghan interpreters and their families. We will relocate those who have asked to go to the Czech Republic, Metnar said. The evacuation flights should take place in the next days. Going further in depth with Military.com, an article is posted saying why the U.S. trained Afghan National Army have been defeated with ease by the Taliban. Posted August 15, 21, make that 2021 by the Business Insider. Since U.S.-led forces began their withdrawal from Afghanistan, the Taliban have gained ground at an astonishing pace. The insurgents have seized half the country's 34 provincial capitals, including its second and third largest city, and now control two-thirds of the entire country. Taliban fighters are now entering the capital city, Kabul, reports say. U.S. officials previously said they didn't expect any provincial capital to be seized until fall at the earliest according to the Wall Street Journal. The Afghan forces should have the upper hand in numbers, funding, and arms. So how have the Taliban gained ground so quickly in Afghanistan? Since its invasion in 2001, the United States has invested almost $83 billion on training and arming Afghan defense forces according to the publication Foreign Policy. We provided our Afghan partners with all the tools. Let me emphasize all the tools. U.S. President Joe Biden said while defending the decision to withdraw American forces. Experts told the magazine that the problem lies not in their training or equipment that was provided to Afghanistan, but in local mismanagement corruption, and demoralized soldiers who often lack the will to fight. Sources said that Afghan police have not been paid for months by the Ministry of Interior, and that the same is true for the Ministry of Defense, foreign policy reported. They added that Afghan forces are often not supplied with adequate, with adequate arms or even food or water. Many soldiers and police are also reported to areas far from their home to which they have no connection, and some choose to abandon their post and return home to defend their families, the magazine said. There is also a widespread lack of faith in the government, with officials across the country stating that they will not fight to defend President Ashraf Ghani's government. The issue of legitimacy is very important, said Eniyat Najafizada, founder of Kabul-based think tank, the Institute of War and Peace Studies, told the book Foreign Policy. He said the 2020 presidential election that returned Ghani for a second term was seen as corrupt, which has been capitalized on by the Taliban. That fact, combined with corrupt officials pilfering funds, has led to widespread distrust of the government. Residents in Herat and Kandahar told Al Jazeera that they were shocked at how quickly their cities fell 
and said government forces did not put up any fight. While official records state that the Afghan security forces number over 300,000, the BBC reported that the true number is likely to be lower. Afghan forces, that Afghan forces have a difficult history of high casualties and desertions, according to the outlet, and corrupt officials also claim salaries for non-existent troops called ghost soldiers. Comparatively, the U.S. Combating Terrorism Center at West Point estimates that the Taliban have 60,000 core fighters with additional militia groups and supporters that could swell that number to possibly 200,000. Afghan forces are overstretched and reports say the Taliban have been shooting down Air Force planes and assigning pilots who often have years of training and are difficult to replace. They are being assassinated. Although lower in numbers, the Taliban has gained momentum after a series of successes. The Taliban have also been seizing weapons caches from African forces, make that again Afghan forces, which are often Western supplied. Although U.S. force left with their sophisticated equipment, the Taliban offensive has allowed the group to seize vehicles, Humvees, small arms and light weapons, as well as ammunition. Justine Fleischnauer of Weapons Tracking Group Conflict Armament Research told this to the AFP. On Saturday, Afghan President Ashif Ghani finally acknowledged the Taliban's gain in a televised, in a televised address. Remobilizing the security and defense force is our top priority and required measures are underway for that purpose, Ghani said. My focus is to prevent further instability, violence, and displacement of my people. On Friday, staff at the U.S. Embassy in Kabul were told Friday to destroy sensitive material in case the Taliban seized the capital, an insider reported. The United States also announced it would send 3,000 troops to evacuate personnel from its embassy in Kabul, and the United Kingdom has sent 600 troops. Now here's an even more recently posted article in Military.com. Taliban enter Kabul, await peaceful transfer of power. Posted today, 15 August 2022 by the Associated Press. Dateline Kabul. Taliban fighters entered Kabul on Sunday and sought the unconditional surrender of the central government. Officials said if Afghan and foreigners alike raced for the exits, signaling the end of a 20-year Western experiment aimed at remaking Afghanistan. The beleaguered central government meanwhile hoped for an interim administration, but increasingly had few cards left to play. Civilians fearing, fearing that the Taliban could reimpose the kind of brutal role that all but eliminated women's rights rushed to leave the country, lining up at cash machines to withdraw their life savings. Helicopters buzzed overhead as part of the evacuation of personnel from the U.S. Embassy. Several other Western missions were also planning to get staff out. In a stunning rout, the Taliban seized nearly all of Afghanistan in just over a week despite the hundreds of billions of dollars spent by the U.S. and NATO over nearly two decades to build up Afghan security forces. Just days earlier, an, Amer an American military assessment estimated it would be a month before the capital would come under insurgent pressure. Instead, the, the Taliban swiftly defeated, co-opted, or sent African security forces fleeing from wide swaths of the country, even though they had some air support from the U.S. military. On Sunday, the insurgents entered the outskirts of Kabul, but apparently remained outside the city's downtown. Sporadic gunfire echoed at times through the streets, but the streets were largely quiet.
Workers fled government offices and smoke rose over the city as embassy staff burned important documents. Taliban spokesman Sohil Shaheen told Qatar's Al Jazeera, English satellite news channel, that the insurgents are awaiting a peaceful transfer of Kabul city. He declined to offer specifics on any possible negotiations between his forces and the government. But when pressed on what kind of agreement the Taliban wanted, Shiahin acknowledged that they were seeking an unconditional surrender by the central government. Taliban negotiators headed to the presidential palace Sunday to discuss the transfer, said an Afghan official who spoke on condition of anonymity for fear of reprisals. It remained unclear when that transfer would take place. The negotiators on the government side included former President Hamid Karzai and Abdullah Abdullah, the head of Afghan National Reconciliation Council. An official said that. Abdullah long has been a vocal critic of President Ashif Ghani, who long refused giving up power to get a deal with the Taliban. The president appeared increasingly isolated. Warlords he negotiated with just days earlier have surrendered to the Taliban or fled, leaving him without a military operation. The official who spoke on condition of anonymity to discuss details of the closed-door negotiations described them as tense. Acting Defense Minister Bashim al-Khan sought to reassure the public that Kabul would remain secure. The insurgents also tried to calm residents of the capital, insisting their fighters wouldn't enter people's homes or interfere with businesses. They also said they offered an amnesty to those who worked with the Afghan government or foreign forces. No one's life, property, and dignity will be harmed, and the lives of the citizens of Kabul will not be at risk, the insurgents said in a statement but they also warned no one to enter the area around the capital. Despite the pledges, panic set in as many rushed to leave the country through the Kabul airport, the last route out of the country, as the Taliban now held every border crossing. Rapid shuttle flights of helicopters near the U.S. Embassy began a few hours after the militants seized the nearby city of Jalalabad, which has been the last major city besides the capital, not in Taliban hands. The U.S. decided a few days ago to send in thousands of troops to help evacuate some personnel, and an official said Sunday that American diplomats were being moved from the embassy to the airport. The official, who was not authorized to discuss diplomatic movements and spoke on condition of anonymity, said military helicopters are shuttling between the embassy compound and the airport, where a core presence will remain for as long as possible given security conditions. Meanwhile, wisps of smoke could be seen near the embassy's roof as diplomats urgently destroyed sensitive documents according to two American military officials, who also spoke on condition of anonymity because they were not authorized to discuss the situation. The smoke grew heavier over time in the area, home to other nations' embassies as well. As Kabul International Airport, Afghan forces abandoned the field to Western militaries, said a, a pilot who also spoke on condition of anonymity to discuss security matters. Earlier in the day, militants posted photos online showing them in the governor's office in Jalalabad, the capital of Nangarhar province. Arabula Murad, a lawmaker from the province, told the Associated Press that the insurgents seized the city's elders, negotiated the fall of the government there. Make that the insurgents seized the city's after elders negotiated the fall of the government. Murad said there was no fighting as the city surrendered. 
The militants also took Maidin Shar, the capital of Maidin Wardak, on Sunday. Afghan lawmaker Hamida Akbari said, the Taliban said, another provincial capital in Khost also fell to the insurgents, said a provincial council member who spoke again on condition of anonymity for fear of reprisals. Afghan officials said the capitals of Kapisa and Parawan provinces also fell. The militants also took the land border of Tarkam, the last not in their control on Sunday. Pakistan's interior minister, Shakith Rashid Ahmad, told local broadcaster GeoTV that Pakistan halted cross-border traffic there after the militants seized it. Later, Afghan forces at Bagram Air Base, home to a prison housing 5,000 inmates, surrendered to the Taliban, according to Bagram District Chief Darwaish Rafi. The prison at the former U.S. base held both Taliban and Islamic State group fighters. Well, that's going to be about it. You now have a pretty in-depth analysis of what we know about Afghans' complete collapse and dateline for many capitals. We will follow this along as time goes on. I will return to you next time. Take care of yourself. Be good and follow your commanders regarding COVID preparations. Again, this is Bob Mallon, Audio Information Network of Colorado, Military News, signing off for this session. Your regularly scheduled program is not available at this time. Please enjoy this special broadcast on AINC. The Center Toward Self-Reliance empowers people with disabilities throughout South and Southeastern Colorado to function as independently as possible and to be active contributing members of society. They practice the five core services established by the National Council on Independent Living, advocacy, peer support, independent living skills, information and referral, and transition services. They empower people through comprehensive programs, including services for the blind and visually impaired, eyeglasses assistance, deaf services, installation of ramps and grab bars, food pantries, housing, home health care, nursing home transition services, and youth services. Call 719-546-1271. They have offices in Pueblo, Alamosa, Canyon City, Huerfano, and Los Animas counties. Dr. Thomas Thini of Low Vision Services of Southern Colorado has been performing evaluations to help people maximize their remaining vision since 1994 and has evaluated thousands of visually impaired patients. If you are one of the millions of people who have trouble reading the newspaper, paying the bills, or viewing the television, you can learn to use your remaining vision effectively to do the things you enjoy with the proper devices and services. Call to schedule a low vision evaluation at 719-471-3200 or visit Low Vision SoCo, that's L-O-W-V-I-S-I-O-N-S-O-C-O dot com. Medicare and Medicaid presently cover low vision evaluations. This is the Audio Information Network of Colorado. Thank you. Thank you so much to Dr. DeJoya. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. To uh, Dr. DeJoya, thank you so much. To the entire Georgetown family. Uh, to my cabinet, who is working tirelessly each and every day on behalf of the American people, to members of Congress uh, who are in attendance, to dignitaries and ambassadors, to tonight's honorees, to coach. It is wonderful to be here this evening. It is a great privilege 
Thank you. It is a great privilege to be with all of you tonight uh, in this place that we set aside to celebrate America's arts. Uh, but on this day, we set aside to commemorate an American giant. And it's fitting that we are commemorating the life of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King with an evening of song. Because, because songs played, as all of you know, an important part in the civil rights movement that he led. It's been said that during the civil rights movement, Dr. King and his associates would go around to different communities in the hopes of organizing and mobilizing them. And they'd know which were serious about the boycott, which had the discipline to actually help pull it off, if folks in those communities were singing freedom songs. And when he saw young people singing in the face of hostility, he said that's when he first saw the real meaning of the movement. He said it was about the faith in the future. He said that it was based on hope. So I'm pleased to be here tonight to listen to some beautiful music that I think would have made Dr. King share a little extra faith in our future. Of course, as we gather here to celebrate Dr. King's life with an evening of the arts, we're also mindful that this is a difficult time for our people and for our world. You know, across this country, Americans are struggling, and few more than African Americans. Those very same inheritors of progress sown by Dr. King and the Civil Rights Movement, too many are struggling right now. Around the world, our sons and daughters are fighting two wars, and closer to home, our Haitian neighbors are in desperate need. Across an ocean, in Africa, many people are still living amid poverty and violence and disease, of the kind that Dikembe Mutombo, who's being honored here tonight, is attacking with the same ferocity with which he used to block shots in the NBA. <laughs> and I want to commend Dikembe on his outstanding leadership in giving back to his nation and his people and in honoring the life and legacy of Dr. King by doing such extraordinary acts of service. Now, the bottom line is this is a difficult time. But we are here tonight to remember and celebrate a man who inspired a people and a nation to overcome another difficult time. That's why they sang, We Shall Overcome, because it was hard. There was something to overcome. We're all very familiar, of course, with the speech Dr. King delivered from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in the late summer of 1963. And we're all familiar with the booming voice echoing across a sea of people from all corners of the country. We're familiar with the dream he described to a nation. But what I don't think we stop to reflect on enough is the strength it took to articulate that dream. It would have been easy for Dr. King to rise to that podium and preach a message of division or hate or blame somebody else. This is a man whose own life and whose own family had been the target of attacks, a man who had been beaten, a man who had been stabbed, a man who had been jailed, a man who had been denied his most basic rights, despite all the erudition, despite his fancy degrees because of the color of his skin. Throughout the land, he saw segregation still rife. Throughout the land, he saw states and schools, governors and police chiefs, unwilling to accept the onward march of history, unwilling to accept an expansion of the American dream to include all of its citizens. And yet, despite all of this, despite the bitterness of the past, despite the difficulties of the present, despite the uncertainty of the future, Dr. King held fast to his dream. King rose to that podium and said, clear-eyed and straight-backed to the multitude that had gathered, even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. So tonight, let us remember the courage of the man who had that dream. Let us remember the perseverance of all those who have worked to fulfill that dream. 
Let us recommit ourselves to doing our part in our own lives and as a nation to make that dream real in the 21st century. Thank you very much, everybody.